Welcome to the Full Potential Podcast. I am your host, Nick Wagner Sr. And every week, I interview guests that share career stories, ideas, and experiences to empower and inspire people to reach their full potential. If you enjoy the episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Every Sunday night, we, we, uh, we have a great guest uh, that we get to interview about their career journey, and tonight is no different. Super excited. Uh, I haven't talked to Josh in a very long time, and when I, when I messaged him on social media, he was probably surprised to hear from me, but he was gracious enough to join me tonight. So Josh Finley, or Joshua Finley, welcome to the show tonight. Uh, Nick, it's great. It's really great. I was uh, excited when I heard from you. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, was, I, was, I was telling Josh, I was talking to my wife, and I'm always trying to get a wide variety of people on the show. So we've interviewed people from the corporate world, from small businesses, entrepreneurs, nonprofits, but I've never had anyone that was either a pastor or a minister or a rabbi, anyone from the religious world. And I thought to myself, that could be really interesting you know, uh, career journey to, to hear about, about someone uh, you know, in that field. And I was th- racking my brain. Is there anyone I know um, that, w- that that I could call or, or, or ask that would want to come on and share their journey? Uh, and not only are, are you a pastor, but you're also a leadership coach, leadership coach, and a life coach. So I think this is going to be a really fun conversation about your very unique career journey uh, that, that you've had. So, so thank you for making time. Absolutely. So, so I want to. I like to always start with this question because I think it it kind of sets the stage for who you are. If you met someone, Josh, say it's in a conference or just, you know, at, at church for the first time or wherever, and they're, and they're like, uh, you know, who are you and, and what do you do? How do you answer that? So the, the best setting that a lot of times I find this is when I'm on a plane, right? So you're sitting down, people ask what you do. And a lot of times if I say pastor, it freaks them out <laughs> because of whatever uh, view they have of, you know, rel- the religious world. Um, but a lot of times I just say, listen, I'm a life coach or a leadership coach, um, depending on, you know, sometimes I just say, yeah, I'm in ministry. I'm a pastor. And I also do this, uh, it depends on how the conversation is going, how, how full disclosure I go, because I don't always want to freak them out, but it's amazing. Sometimes if I do say pastor and they're, you know, uh, anxious about flying, ordering a million drinks, all of a sudden it's like the truth serum comes out and they turn their flight into a confessional and, and there we go. So, um, but yeah, I pastor and I, I'm a leadership coach. And and that's interesting. Right. And, uh, I find it, I find that interesting that it kind of freaks people out because, you know, whether you're religious or not, I think, uh, most, most of the time, I mean, at least in in my experiences, when you meet someone who's a a pastor or a, a rabbi or, you know, name the name the leader of the religious affiliation people usually have a lot of respect for those people that do that work so that's kind of interesting that it kind of freaks people out i think it's because um in general a lot of people feel like if they were to have a conversation with god maybe their life doesn't measure up so there's a level of conviction like i feel a little measure of whether it's catholic guilt or whatever it is and then sometimes sometimes people joke and they don't believe me they're like no you're not a pastor um, I don't know what they're expecting, like a, a elderly man, like you could yeah. only be 80 years yeah. old and, and uh, have dockers and a plaid shirt on. I don't know like what people think, but that's kind it's, of funny. It's funny, the reactions. So, 
so I mean, you have a very, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out on a limb here and that, say that most pastors are probably also not, you know, coaches and consultants and speakers in the, in the way that you are at the same time. So, so, and we'll, we'll dive into how this came to be, right? Like, how did you end up with this unique set of, of career experiences kind of all together? But as, as far as being a pastor goes, was this something that you always wanted to do since you were like, you know, little Josh? Like, how, how, did, how did that end up happening? Because I remember, you know, we, I've known you since, since, you know, high school. And I always remembered you being, being religious. But I don't, I don't think I ever realized that you wanted to go on this path. So, so how did you realize and when did you realize you wanted to be a pastor? You know, I think this, the idea starts in seed form, right? From a really young age, my parents bought me like a Fisher-Price a uh, little microphone set and I used to jump up and down on my bed like mimicking people on TV preaching you know like I, I didn't realize like that was in me the only problem was I remember I was in ninth grade or no I was nine years old I was in third grade I had uh, yeah. Miss Mers was my teacher at Center Road School and it was the day for our first oral book report and I was terrified and Nick I literally hid in the boys room and didn't want to come out like I was terrified so I had a desire to speak in front of people, but I was also deathly afraid of it. Um, and so over time, I'd have to face that fear. You know, when we start talking a little bit about philanthropy and that, it actually happened to me on a missions trip where I spoke for the first time uh, in a developing nation doing some work over there that really did a lot for me. But actually, when I was 17 in our Rockville High yearbook, I wrote, I want to travel the world and see God transform people's lives because I had been mentored in such a way that was so profoundly helpful that I thought, man, if God could use me in some way to just help people reach their potential, like that would be amazing. And I just had no idea where that rabbit hole yeah. was going to lead me. <clears throat> but, but you, but you, so you had a sense even, you know, it sounds like in some ways, even if starting from a young age, that this was something that interested you, right? Maybe you didn't realize. There was a desire for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you didn't realize it would, it would come true, but. So were, were your parents also religious growing up? Is that where you, like, were they the inspiration for you? Or was it a, another family member? Like, how did you, you know, end up being part of the church? Because I think that, that obviously was a big life-changing moment for you. You know, I think the big change was when I was 14 and I met a mentor within the church who um, was actually the top salesman for Xerox across the country for several years and left sales to join the ministry. And like, that was the only youth group I had been a part of, but this leader who 25 years later, I still talk to every single week. Um, we do speaking engagements together. Like he, he is a hybrid for sure. He's a pastor as well as a coach yeah. and entrepreneur. And so I think that was just in my DNA. And that was the example I got from a young age, but intrinsically, I definitely had a desire. Um, and I think, you know, I say to our people all the time that calling is, is not necessarily your decision. I think it's your discovery. I think you discover what was put inside of you, skill set, tools, giftings, passion, and through enough practice, you 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 know, you find out what you're made of and, and what you were really born to do. So, no, and I love how you mentioned mentorship because that's something that I I always stress to people, and we've talked I talk about it in this show with so many guests about how important mentors can be, both personally and professionally. It sounded like that was a big impact on your life. So I think one thing that I think most most of my audience probably has no idea, right, is how do you become a pastor, right? Like, do you go to school for that? Like, 
Is it a traditional four-year college? Do you get a degree? Do you have to go to school to become a pastor? You know, walk us through that because I think a lot, probably many people do not know. Yeah. So you do go to school for that. You can get a four-year degree, a master's. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be working toward getting my doctorate. So it, there is a lot of school involved. Um, there are pastors that don't have formal training and just kind of um, serve within a church and a leader may transition their church to them. You know, 90 something percent of churches are 90 people or less. Wow. So, so it's a different animal once you start talking about the larger organizations. I just happen to be um, groomed, so to speak, in a larger context. And I had a capacity that would probably be bored out of my mind if I was in some country church of 80 people. Um, you know, and I just, and from my perspective, I just look at it and say, God knew that. And so he dropped me in with the right people, the right setting and environment, and things began to come alive. You know, you know, when you talk to certain people and, and you just feel like your dream is stirring inside of you, like, you know, that feeling when you're having a conversation with someone. And um, so I just tried to find myself in that environment with those people more and more often because I wasn't sure if I had what it would take to do it. I had no idea on the path, honestly. Um, I took a semester off when everyone went off to school that fall after we graduated. I actually stayed home to work and to really think and pray about what I was going to do because I didn't want to do it just because there was an expectation. I was expected to go to college, but I really wanted to make the right choice for myself. Yeah. I know I freaked my mom out big time because she was like, oh, my gosh, you're going to get a job. You're never going to go to school. And now it's like, now I can't get out of school. But <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's th there's a formal works. path. So you so you went to so you went to college uh, yep. to, to receive the degree. Yep. And what I mean, I, I'm kind of curious, right? Like, is the curriculum similar to, you know, going to you know get like a liberal arts degree? Are there are there like gen eds and then you specialize in something? specific for what you want to do from a religious perspective? Sure. How does that work? So I majored in biblical studies. Got it. And then you can minor in youth ministry, creative arts, technical okay. ministry. You know, obviously the church world is really developed now. It's it's like running an organization. And so there's a lot of different minors you can do. And for me, um, I just, uh, I actually got offered a position while I was still finishing school and was going to turn it down. Um, but, you know, as Anna and I prayed about it, we just felt like I was supposed to take that step and it kind of just led me into what I was doing. I, I had no idea. And we could talk about transitions because my communications professor, who I was really kind of terrified of, think of a, a slightly nicer version of Simon Cowell. Like <laughs> he was so brutally honest with people's preaching ability. Right. And dude, he shredded me like he tore me apart, but then he built me back up. And I ended up becoming his teaching assistant while I was still in school. And then he retired from teaching and they offered me the class even before I had graduated. Oh, wow. So it was like this weird, I'm still in my senior year and yet they want me to be a professor of public speaking and preaching. And it was like so bizarre, but I, I did it. I just take, took the leap and, um, you know, kept growing in that. And then I ended up not being able to leave upstate New York, just outside of Rochester, New York. Um, because they needed a youth pastor to work with the college students, the junior high and the high school students. And so at uh, 23, I said yes to that. Um, did that for four and a half years, loved it. Because again, the big impact for me was my youth pastor, right? 
um, taking me out of the country on missions trips, yeah. pouring into me. So now I was able to kind of pay it forward and do that job. So can you, can you, I just want to pause for one second. Can you explain to my audience, what is a youth pastor, right? So for those that don't know what, what, what that role entails, what, what do you do in that role? Yeah. So just like, um, there's different departments within any company, you, many churches, especially if it's a larger church, they're not just going to have one pastor. They're going to have a children's pastor, a youth pastor, uh, a young adults, college and career pastor, even sometimes a seniors pastor, depending on how diversified their team is and how large of an audience they're serving. And so I was um, stepping into a fairly large church and a big team, and they needed a pastor for the junior high, high school and college. Got it. And so I stepped into that role. Very cool. And when you talk about the size of churches, you mentioned that 90% or 90 people or less. How how big are some of these 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 large churches that have multiple pastors? I didn't even think that was really a thing. Like, are we are we talking like hundreds of hundreds of people that go to these churches, thousands? Like, what what are the numbers? So, the church that I serve with right now is uh, three thousand people. Wow. And so, but there are churches in America that are sixty thousand people. Um, I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. So um, they consider a mega a church a mega church once it's two thousand or more, and as you know, Nick, the organizational dynamics of leading something at three hundred people versus three thousand people is so dramatically different. different. Yeah. So things can get complex, and we fight to keep them simple. But um, again, I just look back and realize I happened to be trained in a larger environment. Right. Um, had no idea, honestly, the skill set that I was getting trained in. I was so green to the topic of leadership, Nick. I mean, I sailed through Rockville High School without reading, like basically ever. I just read Cliff Notes, Spark Notes, whatever we had. I barely ever read anything. My big rude awakening in college was you have to read. You have to study, and, yeah. And I, I actually fell in love with the discipline of reading. And in college is when I realized that what I knew could keep me from what I needed to know if I didn't humble myself and develop a discipline of, I didn't know people studied leadership. Honestly, I thought you either, you, you were a leader or you weren't. I didn't know that there was like people writing books on the subject. And yeah. the guy that mentored me in college, my, my college professor uh, in speaking was an incredible organizational strategist and leader um, in our field. He's, you know, well-known around the world. And I just didn't know how blessed I was really to be under the wing of somebody with that kind of caliber and experience who was just training me. And what he did intuitively, I began to do intentionally. It, it, it's interesting how you, from a young age, right? I mean, in high school and in college, you had these two amazing mentors. I mean, there's people that go decades, Josh, without amazing mentors. And you had two of them in a matter of like less than 10 years that, that, that actually helped shape your entire professional and personal life, which is pretty, pretty, pretty phenomenal when you think about it. So, so let, let, I want, I want to pause here for a second because it, it sounds like you were, you, you were kind of building the, 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 the puzzle, right. With all these different pieces that are of what you have today, right. With, with being a pastor and the leadership and, and the coaching and the speaking, but I want to pause for one second on the speaking because you, you you mentioned that speaking is such a big part of being a pastor. Is if you're not a good public speaker or a good orator, can you really be an effective pastor? Is that is that something they really push that you really have to be able to get up in front of everyone and and, and deliver? You know whether it's you know um, you know to five people or a hundred people. 
So I think if you don't like studying the scriptures and putting a message together, you're going to have a hard time in ministry. You don't have to be a phenomenal orator. You don't have to be, you know, the next who's who. Yeah. Um, the thing in the thing in ministry and, and in a lot of fields, Nick, I think you don't have to be young, hip, or the best. I think love makes you relevant. When you care for people, they know it right. and they feel it. And they often say that people don't remember what you say, but they remember how they felt when you said it. And so I think, um, you know, that that said, it's not all heart. Like you can have the best character in the world, but if you don't have some competency, right? you know, but then again, because I'm a person of faith, I just believe that if God calls you to an area, how cruel would it be if he also doesn't give you the gifting to go with the passion? Right. You know what I mean? Well, you, you want to do it, but you're, then you're not really good enough to actually do it. That, that would be kind of cruel. And some so, people are just lazy. Some people, Nick, right? True. They don't develop what they've been given. And I, I say to young leaders all the time, you're not stuck with what you start with if you're willing to like courageously discipline yourself to practice. And I clearly had fear issues related to it. Um, I was not the greatest communicator. I think I had some natural gifting, but I had to really push through some thresholds. And, um, you know, one of my friends, Mike Kim, who's a great marketer and branding strategist, he said, he said, if you can answer the question of who's waiting on the other side of your obedience, it helps you push through those quitting points because, um, you know, you, you have to have a driving force bigger than just your own ego or whatever. Right, like yeah. you just need to know, hey, if I don't do this, who's actually going to suffer if I walk away from this? Well, well, I think clearly uh, you're you you've self self improved right with your mentors with school with with all the reading that you do right i mean so clearly to back to your point about discipline you you put in the work to get to where you are today so 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 talk about at what point did you realize that you wanted to be more than just a pastor and and really start making this pivot to leadership and coaching and life coaching and and public speaking outside of just the church Yes. Yeah, so I didn't, again, I didn't know how valuable the, the tools I was getting in organizational management and in speaking. Yeah. And then people within our church, business leaders started saying, Hey, could you come to my company and help us with strategic planning? Hey, could you come to our staff retreat on team development? Um, could you do a mastermind group with these leaders? And I just loved being with whether they're educational, governmental marketplace, business leaders. I just, I loved it. And part of me, just came alive in a fresh way. So I would fly out to a, a city and I would um, do coaching with the senior leader on like a Friday. Then Saturday, I would do like a retreat type setting and offsite with their team. And then Sunday, I would speak at their congregation. And I would come home and I'd tell my wife, I don't know which I liked more. I love, I love preaching to the people. I love working with team dynamics and I love helping people um, grow in their mindset as a personal coach. And I thought, you know, why do I have to choose? Because in a sense, I'm, I'm doing all of those on a regular basis. Um, and it is, tra it is transferable into different sectors. Yeah. So do you primarily, um, work, work with religious organizations? Do you, you, you work with all different types of businesses as well? I work with all kinds of businesses. Um, school systems, police departments. I've done consulting with Chick-fil-A. Uh, well, I guess they're kind of like Christian chicken. I don't know. <laughs> um, I've done a lot with, with a lot of um, non-Christian organizations. And again, another example for me was John Maxwell, because John Maxwell, he's written more books on leadership than anyone. 
Right. He's sold 30 million books right now, written over a hundred different books, but he was a pastor for 15, 20 years and then oh, pivoted. Yeah. Pivoted to being a, um, you know, basically a leadership guru in every sector. And so that's one of the certifications I went through. I went through getting coach trained through John Maxwell's group, um, went and did another life coaching certification on top of that. But it just showed me, Hey, leadership is leadership and, and good leadership is good leadership and bad leadership is bad leadership. And so much of it is transferable no matter what environment you're in. So, so how, I, cause I'd love, I'd love, the, I'd love the, to talk. I could talk about this for hours. You know that, um, what, when you meet with people and talk about leadership or you're doing life coaching or you're doing, you know, the one-on-one -on -one coaching with people, is there typically a problem that they're trying to solve that, that you help them, you know, you help them figure out, like ex explain to the audience, like what is the benefit of a coach for someone? Right. And, and how does that, how does a coach, right? Cause I want to make sure we make this point. How does a coach differ from a mentor or a sponsor or a therapist, right? Like, well, yeah. why is a coach different? Okay. So a therapist, let's talk about counseling. So someone comes to counseling typically because they're wounded, they're hurt, there's something broken. Um, people call a consultant because there's organizationally some dynamics that need to be fixed. And so as a consultant, you come in curious, uh, Peter Drucker said, right. The best thing I do as a consultant, he said, I just come in acting like I know nothing. And right. I try to be as curious as possible. Um, but as a consultant, you are going to give some answers. As a coach, the interesting dynamic is the pressure is not on you to figure everything out and to answer for them. Um, I don't have to decide for them. I get to discover with them. And if you look at the, the word education in the Latin, educo, it means to draw from within. So I show up as a coach not thinking that I'm working with an empty vessel that has no clue. I I think I'm working with someone that has the answer deep within them, but it's it's muddied. They don't see. There's conflicted. They need clarity. And so I try to ask clarifying questions, and rather than hand them a roadmap and say, here's how you fix your life, I try to hold up a mirror and say, okay, who are you? How are you wired? What are you passionate about? What's frustrating you? And I just straight out ask them you know, in the beginning, um, for this conversation to be a win, what do you want to talk about? And I let them right. drive it. And then I hold them accountable and kind of just become a thinking partner. It takes a lot of pressure off of you. And, um, you know, you're not manipulating people. You're not coercing people. Um, but coaching is much more related to goals and accountability. The part of coaching I love, um, a guy named Paul Martinelli became business partners with John Maxwell. He started John Maxwell's coaching association an amazing entrepreneur in nine years, he raised up over 30,000 certified coaches in 160 wow. countries. So such a maximizer, right? Um, but again, Maxwell would give you this question. He'd say, who do you know that I should know? And so I just started asking people that I was serving, Hey, who do you know that I should know? And lo and behold, I started working with Paul Martinelli, um, and doing coaching for them. Their group is called empowered living. And, um, it's, kept me busier and more fulfilled working with people from lots of different walks of yeah. life. But I, I, I say as a coach, I kind of get a front row seat to watch someone's development go to another level. And um, I don't carry that burden or responsibility. They have to take personal responsibility. I just kind of get to be there as a thinking partner and a mindset coach.
Yeah, no, I, I, I have a lot of coworkers and friends that are coaches and I've been I've benefited from a, a coaching session with, with one of my one of my friends, then she helped me, you know, make exactly what you said. She helped me make a decision by asking me all those different questions. She didn't tell me what to do. We got to we got I got to the answer based off of her asking all those questions. So um, for those listening, a coach is a great way for you to help continue to develop yourself, right? I mean, that, that's a fantastic way. And I think the other thing I just want to mention, just to make sure people are, are clear on this, that a coach, uh, it, it has nothing to do with religion, right? So a coach is, uh, it, it can have something to do with religion, but doesn't have to, right? So I just want to make sure I clarify. For sure. That. Yeah. It's a great um, form of parenting. I try to I try to incorporate coaching into my parenting because we all know that as parents, we like to tell, um, but sometimes asking is way more effective than telling. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, Josh, that some of the things I do as an HR professional, I just cannot for the life of me do with my kids. I don't know why that is, right? I'm still working on it. I, you know, I just got to be a little bit more patient. But uh, so, so, you, so you do a lot of things, right? I mean, you, you're, you're a pastor, you're a life coach, you you do, you work with organizations to help, you know, help, help the organizations get better. As far as you know, I want, I want to, I want to ask this question because I think this is important, especially for you as someone with a family. How do you balance all this, right? Is have you had times in your life because I think this is really important for people here where you had to dial something back because of family obligations, and other times in your life where you had to dial things up because of professional obligations. Like, how do you manage that? Yeah. So, um, first of all, my wife is amazing, and she holds down the fort really well. Um, if I have to travel and things, but of course, you're never going to get it exactly right there's a you know the way andy stanley would say it's not a problem that you can solve it's a tension that you have to manage you never can solve the problem of juggling all of that you just have to manage the tension from week to week and there are times where i had to say no to huge contracts because i knew my family needed me and there were times i needed to say to my family hey listen dad's going to be super busy right now because i'm going back to school and i'm pastoring you know and i'm coaching these leaders but at the back of my mind, I have, I think a person has to always remember what real success is and deeply embedded in me was the, the idea and the principle that the greatest thing that I get to do isn't something that I'm going to do. It's someone that I get to raise. And that starts with my family, my kids, my two boys. Um, but even in the industry of, of coaching and and in whether it's pastoring or business, I don't want to just be a, a short story. I want to outlive my life. And so I want to raise up other people. You know, I had t- incredible mentors pour into me. And if I get the privilege of doing that for other people, you know, then, then that's what I'm going to do. But yeah, the balance is huge. And I think you, you constantly have to evaluate your priorities. I think yeah. it was um, James Clear in Atomic Habits. He talked about there's a season of your life and development that's exploration. What are my gifts? Where's my best unique fit, unique competencies? And then there's exploitation. Once you pivot to exploitation, you know what your gifts are and you have to focus on leveraging them. And again, I'm, I'm there's certain, I say no to a lot more things than I say yes to now because I have to just value my time before I'd be like thrilled. Somebody wanted to hire me, right. you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, I got a speaking. Game. Oh my gosh, I got a coaching client. And now I have now I do a lot of referring to excellent people that I know can help people, um, so that I'm, you know, saying yes to the right things. Yeah, I mean, you, you you have to be more you have to be more selective because unfortunately, time is one of those finite things, right? So no, I I like I like I love to hear that because I, I think it's it's so important for people to realize 
that you can be successful and have a family, right? And I try to have a lot of guests oh, yeah. on here that, that do that um, because I think there's it's a common misconception that you can't do both. And I think I think you're right. You can. You just have to. You kind of have to balance it. So, Bro, one of the questions you 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 sent over to is like, what are the, what are your accomplishments? What are you proud? We got married really young. Next month, Ann and I celebrate 20 years. Oh wow! Of marriage, Congrats. which is just crazy, right? I was the crazy one that got married at 19, almost 20, and uh, I think that's one of the greatest accomplishments that we're celebrating 20 years. I love my family more now. I love what I do more now than ever, and I think if you pay the price to get better you you make better decisions and you learn how to focus where it really matters yeah and i mean i mean and you you're clearly blessed in the sense that you do something for work that you love right so it does it might not feel as as much like work you know there's a lot of people that are that are out there that listen to this that might not really love what they do and that and that you know that's part of the reason that i do this this show every week is to try to inspire people by letting people like yourself share your stories with others to kind of hear like Hey, what else is out there? What else can I do? Because I think that's that's so important for people to hear. So I I want I want to kind of take a little bit of a pivot and talk about what it's like to be an entrepreneur, right? Because obviously you're a, you're a pastor, so you work for an organization in that sense, but you're also self-employed. And I'd love for you to just share a little bit about what is it like to what is it like being self-employed, right? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? And maybe share share with the audience uh, some thoughts on that. Yeah, wow. I mean, I my hat goes out to all the entrepreneurs out there. It's such a, a courageous thing. It's a nerve-wracking thing at times. Um, I just think, you know, when you've got an itch to create something and you've got a gifting, here, here's the mistake most people make. They make excuses when they look at other successful people and they think, oh, well, that outlier had this break or they had this opportunity yeah. that I don't have. And, and so the, the comparison just paralyzes them. And, you know, the way I like to describe, it, I say envy is proof that you haven't embraced your own distinction. Like just stop being envious and let it inspire you to what's possible. But I think the key to, to being an entrepreneur is you have to dream big, but you have to be willing to start embarrassingly small. Yeah. Like yeah. you just have to start. What What's the key? How do you, you have to start, right? Uh, if I, if I, um, you know, the, the way I say it is this clarity or provision meets me where I step, not where I stand. I have to step out. If I take a step, then all of a sudden people and ideas are attracted to me. It just begins to move towards me. But if I'm not willing to start embarrassingly small and uh, take the opportunities that come to speak at this Rotary Club or this thing yeah. or whatever, um, you got to walk through the doors that are open. And then all of a sudden, pretty soon, that won't be the only doors that are open. But if you if you diminish it or you you out of fear, stay away from it. Again, that's why the mindset piece is so big. Most people underestimate what their potential is and what they're able to do. And, and I hate seeing people held hostage by that. And that's kind of what I, because I was that way, right? I was terrified to speak. And yet that was part of my life calling. And now, and and now, now look, right? <clears throat> well, and now not only do I get paid great money to go speak places, but I actually get my favorite thing, Nick, is training new communicators because I get to tell them my story and I get to walk them through a communication process to say, you can stand up and do a keynote. You can speak in a boardroom. You can speak in a classroom and, and give them the skills that, that someone graciously gave me. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, there's, you know, there's all the so many studies about 
you know, how terrified people are of public speaking, right? Uh, and it, it doesn't matter, you know, who you are or where you're from or how much money you have or where you were grown, where you grew up. It's like this universal fear for so many people. They just hate doing it, right? And I always try to tell people, it's the biggest thing is practice, right? I mean, I always share, I, I DJed for 15 years and people are always like, why do you not mind speaking in front of people? I'm like, because I was in front of people with a microphone every weekend for 15 years. And you just- You, you know, put in you, your 10,000 hours. Exactly. You get better, right? So, um, so no, I, I love that. So, all right. So I want to do a quick rapid fire session and throw some questions at you yep. and get get some thoughts. So you mentioned your biggest accomplishment, which is your, you know, the, the 20 years of marriage with your wife. What has been- what is, what, what's been your biggest professional accomplishment, right? So that's personal, but on the professional side, what's your biggest professional accomplishment that you'd share? You know, um, a quote from Benjamin Franklin has haunted me, and he said, well done is better than well said. And I've always been haunted by having these big lofty ideas and not actually doing something with them. So uh, an accomplishment I'm super proud of. I was starting to dread my birthday more and more as a milestone because I knew there were books in me, but I just hadn't done enough with it because I was busy doing other things. And so this year I published two books and uh, have another manuscript I'm working on for 2021. And so I'm excited that the writing part of what I do is coming to life. But probably um, two of the biggest things would be surviving a transition with a founder in an organization. So I... I was the youth pastor, right? That young kid. And I got called into my senior pastor's office. And I honestly thought, did I do something wrong? We had just yeah. had an all nighter with some of the kids. Did they break something? Like, and he said to me, Hey, I met with the board and I'm going to be retiring in two years. And they unanimously agree that you're supposed to be the one to take my position. Oh, wow. At the time, Nick, I was 25 years old when that conversation took place. Later, I told him, I said, I may or may not have peed down my leg in your office, <laughs> panicking, because what in the yeah. world? This is like a large staff, multi-million dollar organization. And at 27 years old, I stepped into that lead role. And you don't even know what you don't know. And yeah. so that just fed this journey of I'm going to find people who are doing this at a at a better way and and um, I think when you honor people, you draw the best out of them. And so I think surviving that transition at 27, I helped that church grow. We launched other campus locations. We improved the technology, all these things. Five years into it, I read a statistic that said that um, if you're taking over an organization from a founder who's been there 20 years or longer, you're typically the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, like you're going to die in the transition. Within, right. 18, within 18 months, 90% don't make it. I'm so glad I read that statistic five years in, in that 18 months. And true, uh, anyways, true. I got to serve that church for almost 14 years before we moved. And um, it was, it was a great journey. I didn't know what I didn't know, but um, I think it keeps you hungry and you will read like crazy and you will pursue wisdom from other people. Cause you just know that's, you know, that's super cool. So, and, and I, I want to make sure that I, I share this because we're going to share your website in the show description so everyone can check it out. And I know that you're, you have your books linked on, on your, your, uh, your website. So if everyone wants to check that out. And for those that don't know, writing one book is a big deal. The fact that you wrote two this year is, is awesome. So congrats. Thanks, so let's man. flip it around on the, uh, on, the, on the opposite side of the spectrum. What's been the biggest professional failure of your career, right, from a, from a work perspective? And what did you learn from it? Yeah, gosh, there's a lot. Um... 
top of the mind, like I am a potential person. Like this is the full potential live show, right? So yeah. I see potential everywhere. I see potential in my pets. I mean, I see you see potential. Like you could teach people. I think there are times that I saw a future for people that they didn't see for themselves that were on my team. And out of love and loyalty, sometimes for me or for the organization, they would stay in roles where I would keep stretching them and stretching them beyond mm -hmm. their capacity. Interesting. And um, and because as a leader, you know, it's it's nice to be well liked and well thought of, and so you don't want to have to fire people and move people along. I wasn't necessarily afraid to have the difficult conversations because it just comes with the territory. You have to do that. Right. But sometimes I would stretch too long transition processes for people. And I needed to realize that for me, loyalty is such a huge value. And sometimes I can distort that value and forget the fact that people come into your life for really three categories, a, a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And for me, once you're in my life and you're on my team, I kind of think that you're in the lifetime category. And it's not and, necessarily always the case. And it's not always the case. And so I think um, keeping people in a spot that they were not thriving in and saying, no, I think you can thrive and it not happening. Um, I've gotten better at moving that faster. And, and I just hate thinking that some people suffered longer than they needed to in a role that was not the right seat on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I, I think, I think that comes with time, right? That, that managerial experience, you eventually get better at that, which is probably what you experienced. So I think that's, I think that's a, I think that's a great, uh, a great thing to share with everyone. All right. So next book, and, and this is kind of, you can't pick your own book, but what is your favorite book? If you had to recommend a book to someone on leadership that was not written by Josh Finley, what would yeah, be your favorite please. book? I haven't even written a, a leadership book yet. Um, what would be your favorite book on leadership? Gosh, John Rack, John Maxwell has written so many great books. Um, Andy Stanley's yes. Next Generation Leader. Uh, like I went from the guy that never knew people wrote leadership books to now I've you've read all of them. Read. I mean, I can't even tell you how many I've read. Um, oh, but John Maxwell, from an author perspective, is one of your favorites. <clears throat> yeah, in a classic sense, I like a lot of a lot of the secular guys too. Simon Sinek. You know, leaders eat last or yep. start with why. Fantastic. I, because I'm, um, I really like personal growth. I also love the books that relate to, you know, atomic habits, that type of thing. I really, yeah. um, I'll, I'll say this it's not technically a leadership book, but Essentialism by Greg McCune was the best book that I've read in the past few years. Uh, excellent. And it's all about focus and all about managing margin okay. and Very doing cool. what really matters. Essentialism. All right. Um, so my last rapid fire question for you is why do you think everyone should have a mentor? I mean, what do you, you, you gain wisdom from either mistakes or mentors. You choose which is better. <laughs> um, experience, experience can be a brutal teacher. I mean, it's a great way to learn, but it's also a hard way to learn. And if I just, again, it's me. I'm a person of faith. I believe that there are people around you right now hidden in plain sight that are there to help you if you would humble yourself and yeah. ask for help and you would seek out and, and ask questions. I mean, take them out for lunch, take them out for coffee, um, come with great questions. And, you know, Coach John Wooden said, it's what you know after you know it all that really counts. Like, just know that you're so much more you don't know 
And yeah, See, what I, I, I would not be here. I would not be here, Nick. There's no question I would not be here if I didn't have so many different mentors at different yeah. pivot points pouring into me. But but what you said is so hard for people, Josh. Asking for help for people is one of the hardest things for people, right? Because they people think it's a sign of weakness. It is what I've seen, right? And I always try to tell people it's a sign of strength, in my opinion, because you're openly admitting you don't know everything, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we've just everybody else up, knows you don't know everything. You right? have this just, illusion. We've just grown up in like this culture, right? Where it's a you know, I think especially men too. It's 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 harder for men to ask for help than 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 women because we're supposed to be we're supposed to know everything, right? And uh, it's a blind so spot. I, I think that's it's great. A blind I think spot. that's great. Great advice. It's a blind spot. Check out the Johari window, right? We all have a yes. blind spot. Yes, we do. No, absolutely. All right. So I want I want to just I want before before we close, I want to go back to the church you're at today, right? So you you've been at the church, uh, your your current church. I think since 2017, do I have that right? Yeah. Yep. What are you doing in, in your role there today? And how is that different from your last role that you left uh, in upstate New York? So in upstate New York, I was the lead pastor. So I oversaw the whole operation, all the staff. We moved three years ago to help some friends in the Baltimore area. Um, and right now what I do is I oversee leadership and campus development. So what that means is I... Um, one of the cool things is I do get to train the communicators and the teaching pastors, but I also help serve and support the campus pastors. So we right now have five different locations wow. and each location has its own pastor. Um, and then I got to create a leadership pipeline to spread culture and sharpen skills within all the campuses. Uh, and actually just a couple of weeks ago, we launched our school of ministry, which is a fully accredited school that also um, dovetails with the local church. And so we, we've got our first 12 students in that, and that was oh, cool so getting to build that from scratch. Um, it's crazy when you build the airplane, you're flying the airplane while you're building it, you know? <laughs> that, must have been, but, that must have been a huge undertaking. So congrats oh, on that. Man. <clears throat> so I, I, I want to ask one, one, one other question before I always close with the same question, because I want to talk, I want to make sure we talk about philanthropy, because I know that's a big part of, uh, of, of you and your career. And, and, and just the church in general, right? Philanthropy. So so how does philanthropy shaped your life, right? I mean, you know, I mentioned when we were discussing before getting on tonight, like this show is part of the nonprofit my wife and I started so I can give back. But how do you and your family use philanthropy to give back? You know, it, it changed my life at 15 years old when I went out of the country. I was in the mountains of the Dominican Republic serving people. Um, and then I was in Scotland and in Mexico and other places um, since then, China, India, Brazil, you know, all over. When you see another culture and you come back home to America, as a 15-year-old, there were, I was so entitled. I had no idea how good we had it. I still, when I take a hot shower, think about no matter how hot it is in the jungles of, of the Dominican Republic, you still don't want to take a freezing cold shower. And I remember taking these freezing cold showers. Yeah. And when I came home, I thought even my shower is amazing. Having running hot water, yeah. having predictable food and cars that work, it, it just changed me. And so much so that we made kind of a, a pledge within our family that our boys would go on missions trips at least once or twice before they graduate high school to see a developing nation. Um, That's awesome. Because because you can talk about it, right? There's there's truth that you know and that you read about and you learn, but then there's truth that you experience and it's with you forever. Right. And so that has 
And I always take away more than I can give. We give money, we give time, we train leaders, we do all these things. We, you know, build schools and build homes and orphanages, but you come home so radically different right. and it's unshakable. And so, um, I just, it's, it's such a huge part of what we do. We do it locally since COVID it's been a big deal because, um, we have a food uh, giveaway twice, a Tuesdays and Fridays outside of Baltimore. And it's amazing. You, Nick, you'll see people that are, they never have been in this position before. They've right. never had to ask for help. We'll, we'll be there and I'll see a, a Mercedes SUV pull in nice cars coming in and, and people just, you know, looking down and feeling dejected, thinking I've, I never thought I would be in this place where I needed some help, but it's such a joy to be able to, to give dignity to these people and say, yeah. you know, it's okay. Anybody could find themselves in that place. And so it's more blessed to give than to receive. You, and it's sad because we almost, we do it selfishly because we know that we're going to be changed in the process even more than whatever we could do for these people. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big part of what we do. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure we, we talked about that because I, I know it, it's been such a big part of your life. And I, you know, I feel I didn't do a lot of philanthropic work growing up, but I, I've, I've tried to make up for it over the past say decade. And I, I feel that for so many people, it's just such a great experience, right? Whether, and again, it doesn't matter. You don't have to give money to be philanthropic. You can, like you mentioned, you can give time, right? You can give training, right? There's all, plenty of other things that you can do if you don't have money to give. So I, I'm glad that I'm glad. How you, many you thousands of dollars did you pay for your training and your education? Right. You made a huge investment. And so right. the greatest thing you could give people is your time yeah. and the thing that you're good at, your skill set. And so, yeah, skill based volunteering is, is a really uh, a really big thing in a lot of parts of the country now. All right. So last question. Uh, I always close with the, the, the same question and I appreciate you making time between, you know, your, your own business, being a pastor, your family. So thank you. Uh, what what is the one thing that's helped you reach your full potential in life right so what is that one thing one piece of advice you'd share with my audience and all my listeners or everyone watching that's helped you be so successful yeah well i think first of all you have to i think you have to believe that you have one that you have a purpose and that you have a potential and that the giftings you have and the desires you have are not an accident um you know they've been entrusted to you and so what are you going to do with what's been entrusted to you? And I, again, for me, the thing I bleed is the greatest thing in life is not something you're going to do. It's going to be someone that you raise. And so once you figure out what you do, figure out how it can outlive you, how you can pay it forward, because there's never going to be a stage big enough. There's never going to be a paycheck or contract big enough, a payoff big enough that's going to actually satisfy the right. longing to say, Hey, I did something really good. And so, um, you know, that's what I, I, that's what I aim for. Yeah. I, I just love your, your message of positivity. Uh, you know, I feel it, it's, it's always needed. I feel like it's especially needed now with, with everything people are, are living through on a daily basis. So Josh, thank you so much. Again, we'll link to, we'll link to your website in the show description. So it's joshuafinley.org for those listening on the podcast for those watching on, on, on YouTube, but we'll link to that. If you want to get in touch with Josh, uh, if you want to get in touch with them about whether it's being a pastor, uh, if you're interested in coaching, if you're interested in consulting, or if you're just interested in talking with him because you need a mentor, uh, don't, don't hesitate to connect to him. So Josh, thanks for making time. Hey, Nick, you're doing great work. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Be well.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Full Potential Podcast. If you'd like to hear more interviews, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. You can also connect with us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to check out our website, fullpotentialmovement.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing and be well.